Good morning and welcome to Profit Pod. I'm your host, Gabriela, and today we're joined by Dr. Thomas Budin, who is a professor within the Graduate School of Religion and Religious Education at Fordham University and a fellow BC Eagle. Lovely to have you on, Tom. Well, it's lovely to be here. Firstly, I want to thank you for having me on the Profit Pod this week. Really dig what you're doing, and I'm happy to support. So I think it'd be great to start with your educational and personal background, just to give our listeners a sense of who Dr. Budin is. Also, where does this podcast find you at the moment? Sure. Well, this call finds me in New York City, where I'm teaching courses at Fordham. To give you a quick snapshot of myself, I was born into a lower middle class Roman Catholic family from a small town called Independence near Kansas City, Missouri. I grew up in trailer parks and public housing. After working as a high school teacher for a few years, I went back to school to get my master's in theological studies at the Harvard Divinity School. After that, I crossed the Charles to do my PhD at BC. Since then, I've held academic appointments at Boston College, Santa Clara University, and now Fordham University. I've also kept myself busy the last 25 years or so by playing bass guitar in a rock band with my buddies. Work-life balance, you know. Well, Tom, it appears that much of your work reflects a lot of these life experiences that you have had, and your publications are fairly wide-ranging. Would you elaborate on what kind of theological work you currently do? A general theme I'm interested in is how spiritually resonant practices, be they religious or non-religious, are formed. However, I'd say it mostly follows two main threads. One thread has to do with popular culture and in particular popular music. I'll tell you, I'm a practicing musician and I've been playing in bands since the 80s, so that definitely has inspired me. The other thread has to do with, in a sense, questions of power, knowledge, religion, and their dialogue within the context of Catholicism and beyond. Along these threads, I've explored the concepts of religious affiliation, comparative theologies, and the spiritual power of music. That's very interesting. I consider your role as a theologian to be that of a translator to some extent. You use your theological work to transcribe the spiritual resonance of theology into a form that people who may be spiritual but not religious can also relate to. More specifically to popular music, your work suggests that having the courage and consenting to the pleasure of meeting divinity through multiple musics is a richer way of living the Christian life. It almost seems that sometimes the most truly religious language is not religious at all. We've previously spoken on a more personal level about how your modest upbringing has greatly influenced your work. Similarly, your passion for music and your exposure to religion since a very young age has greatly influenced who you are. Are there particular figures in your life that have influenced your theological work and the way you live your life? Oh yes. Well, where do I begin? My father has been a huge influence because he was a Jesuit prior to getting married. After that, he became a deacon in the Roman Catholic Church. So in a sense, I went into the family business by becoming a theologian. Outside of my family, I've been lucky enough to surround myself with mentors, teachers, and ideas that have inspired my work greatly. One of the most transformative figures for me was the French philosopher Michel Foucault of the mid-20th century who studied the way in which power and knowledge could be instrumentalized by institutions as social control mechanisms. While at BC, a Jesuit scholar named James Bernauer really pushed me to dig deeper into Foucault's work, and it ultimately led me to write my dissertation on many of the topics covered. In addition, the Catholic theologian Karl Rahner was very influential for me. Some of his students became my teachers. 
he coupled a very progressive perspective with a modern Catholic sensibility that was appealing to me. It sounds like you have had incredible mentors. I wanted to key in on your relationship to music, and in particular, rock. I've read some interviews where you talk about Arcade Fire and other bands that communicate a lot of religious sensibilities. Would you also say that rock and music in general have been an unexpected source of inspiration? Yes, definitely. I've been into music much longer than theology, actually. Rock bands like Rush, in particular, have been transformative in me getting a hold of my own life. There's something about their standard of excellence in musicianship and the intensity of feeling that speaks to me. It's really great to hear that you have interests outside of theology. Now I'd like to transition into your academic priorities and the causes that you are committed to. Tom, when the team here at Prophet Pod was exploring which theologian to interview today, we were looking for a person who is approachable and even someone who some of our listeners could relate to. Your background and you being a rock band musician was something that greatly called our attention. Given your other passions, we are curious to know why you do theology. Well, Gabriella, that is an excellent question. I believe theology is actually not a thing out there waiting to be done or a historical script waiting to be read. Theology is more of a mobile, historical, political term that has been continuously changing over the centuries and with different religious traditions. As I mentioned in my article, Faith in Music, the point is that despite theology's historical tendencies to see itself as the protector of divine property, known as revelation, neither sounds nor theology can stay the same in this kind of engagement, and we will only retrospectively come up with the reasons for that novelty. Given that theology in and of itself is a dangerous concept, when I ask myself why theology, I'd say that it is because the study of theology can help us take responsibility for what, for what matters most to us. Theology, when it is taught well, causes people to confront their values and clarify how we should be living. This more psychoanalytical or emotional dimension to theology is very important because traditionally, human bodies and affects have not played a central role in much of theology teaching. It's been stuck in ideas and concepts, and I do theology to leave room for people to discover what they care about. In the end, theology is about the bigger picture and has to prove its worth every day. It should never be assumed as a worthy enterprise. Excellent, Tom. That actually reminds me of another idea from page 47 to 48 of James Martin's The Six Paths, which mirrors your belief that theology should always be tested in its worthiness and driving our personal belief systems. To quote him directly, he says, By the same token, religious institutions need themselves to be called to account, and here the prophet among us, who are able to see the failures, weaknesses, and plain old sinfulness of institutional religion, play a critical role. I know some of the questions asked today could be elaborated a lot more, but I greatly appreciate you finding ways to give concise answers to such given time constraint of the podcast, and you're responding spot on. Now that we've covered why you do theology, I am wondering how it is that you actually do theology. I do theology in my everyday life. The challenge behind this question is that we don't even know how to classify what exactly theology is, or what being a theologian entails. 
What I do know is that I try to find God and theology in all things. I do theology through my teachings and try to use the power I have as a teacher to best educate my students. I also do theology through my music. The passion and dedication needed as a musician is very similar to the passion and dedicated practice of religion. I really love how you describe it. It reminds me of a reading of Bruce Main that says, Jesus' life seems to indicate that God's presence is not limited only to the spiritual stuff. It was in the ordinary aspects of his daily existence that Jesus noticed these sacred snapshots. Everything that you say today is definitely educating me and the rest of the public that listens to Prophet Pod. But who is your target audience that you do your work for? Often in theology, we talk about the neighbor, meaning those that will benefit from your work. So who are your neighbors? Interesting question. I think that as a professor working in a university setting, a lot of what I write and teach is in that university framework and is intended to educate my students. I believe that my intended neighbors are in places where I think I can make an impact, and one of the main ones is in the classroom. A transformative experience in that context can have positive ripple effects as my students go out into the world. I also take my work with me and into my daily life. To a degree, my neighbors in an academic sense are my actual neighbors and family members. My aim is to promote a diverse world where everyone can be my neighbor. Oh, how lucky are your students to have such an excellent professor. In past episodes, with prominent theologians like yourself, we've come across the question of what makes someone a prophet in modern times. Our definition of a prophet tends to center around the idea that prophets speak for the marginalized groups in an economic, political, or social sense that are maybe not afforded the luxury of having a voice in society. As stated by John Nefsi in Act Justly, the prophets seemed to have a capacity to feel what society at large was trying not to feel. Given this definition, we believe that you have the qualities to be considered a prophet of our times. Would you agree with this categorization? Although I'm very honored by this claim and some of my early work has been categorized by reviewers as prophetic, I am reluctant to agree with you here and assign myself the role of a prophet. I have much more of a sense of my own insufficiency and imperfections than may be evident in some of my writings. I honestly don't set out to produce prophetic work. In the beginning of my career during my time in Harvard and BC, I was very committed to being a progressive Roman Catholic theologian that spread the word of God. But I had a big shift. What has changed is not my ideology or my politics. However, I no longer have Catholicism as my center of gravity. Certainly, I'm very grateful for my Roman Catholic school upbringing, yet I can no longer explicitly support the teachings of an institution that has a patriarchal organization, homophobic tendencies, and a history of sexual abuse. Looking back, I think that shift in my thinking toward more progressive ideas was marked by the BC dissertation I wrote on Michel Foucault's work and the role of the theologian as a model postmodern educator. It was, it was an investigation of how Foucault's philosophies of power, knowledge, and subjectification serve as resources to productively enrich the teaching of theology in the present. There's something about my task as a theological educator which has moved away from religious reproduction or keeping people connected to scripture and more toward teaching theology so as to help us enable the diversity of faith. My Fordham mini lecture captured this idea in another way. Rather than the theology practitioner meeting other people where they are, much more fitting would be to change that phrase to meeting other people where I am yet to be, 
which emphasizes the importance of learning and change. This flexibility, in my view, is a necessary ingredient to any spiritually motivated practice. Oh, how humble, Tom! But it is precisely because of this reasoning that we believe you are a prophet. This reminds me of Schneider and Ray's work, Awake to the Moment, where they say, if we say that Christian theology follows Jesus the Christ, then it only makes sense that that theology also seeks to root itself among the less powerful. Now that we have dived into a more philosophical conversation, what is your understanding of faith, perspective, love, and revelation? Oh, these have all been such wonderful questions. I would say that my paper titled Witness to Dispossession greatly describes my position on perspective, which is to say that I've contemplated what the meaning of Christian life truly is. In my article, Faith in Music, I describe to a more popular audience my perspective on beliefs in God and how we can relate God to music. More to your question, I would describe faith as a confidence in reality. Some people could have that faith in something more abstract, like love or forgiveness, but my main focus is on where individuals get their confidence in reality and where you get your courage to face each day. Faith is not explicitly religious, but is whatever provides you with a confidence in reality, whether it has ties to the spiritual dimension or not. What a wonderful description of faith. I believe that it is a great transition into what is our last question of the day. What image, aspect, or character of God do you introduce to your intended audience? Well, BC really taught me on the basis of a liberation-minded image of God. In Faith and Music, again, I talk about my approach to God and how, instead of promoting some image of God, I want to make people create their own image. Um, I, pr I primarily focus on the function of God and how the image that people create has an impact on the things they do in the world. In other words, it's not about the content rather than the process associated with following God. So this reminds me of the ideas you explore in your book, Consuming Faith, in which you talk about how Americans built their identity upon two paradoxical interests, spirituality and consumerism. Actually, in a theology class, we explored a similar idea by observing a tomato. We realized that the tomato had its individual trajectory and it had been brought up by different people who were in a way connected to us as consumers. I'm sure Professor Cruz would do a better job at explaining it, but it seems to resemble your description of economic interconnectedness. You've identified it in the sense that in this book, I was interested in where theology comes from and the kind of work theology can do. I wanted to highlight the fact that we have an economic relationship with the people who produce what we buy. That book was part theology, part activism because I wanted readers to be more aware that how you conduct those daily consumption practices and use your margin of freedom is what indicates your true theology. Excellent. Once again, thank you so much for your time today. ProfitPod is incredibly grateful for having you in our show today. Happy to be on. Thank you.